This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everybody to Screen Talk. I'm Ann Thompson, editor-at-large at IndieWire, and I am delighted to welcome back to the podcast Eric Cohn, uh, executive editor. Uh, Eric, Hello. you've been gone all this time. I'm yeah, but I was on the sidelines. I was listening in. You had some nice guests throughout the, to keep me oriented. Eric, tell me a little bit about your experience with the movies during your uh, paternity leave. I know you were playing with Ava and having fun, but um, what was? How did you get out? Did you see anything? Uh, are you are you up to date? Uh, inquiring minds want to know. So yes, yeah, so my daughter Eva was born uh, on November tenth, and at that point in time, the first thing professionally I realized was that. I would not be going to the screening of Licorice Pizza that week. And she was a pretty damn good excuse, obviously. But uh, by that Tuesday, I realized that it was possible to sneak out for short durations of time sometimes and not feel totally irresponsible. So <laughs> I, I did manage to kind of engage with the world in piecemeal. Obviously, I was following first reactions to things and so forth. But beyond that, all of the movies that you were talking about from Licorice Pizza to Nightmare Alley and so on, I did manage to catch up on. So here's what I would say, though, big picture wise, is that it you forget how much is squeezed into that fall corridor. And there there was so I mean, we kind of anticipated it before I left. But it was fascinating to see how even though not every movie that came along completely changed the conversation. So much happened in November and December from a movie perspective, not just in terms of award season, but just in terms of conversations about the state of the market that we weren't having before then. So it doesn't take long to, to really shake things up. And I'm sure that'll continue in the, in the weeks ahead. So Licorice Pizza was one that I ran out to see as, as well uh, at a theater and, um, I went in with low expectations and wasn't um, and was delightfully surprised by how much I loved it. Um, it was it was unpretentious and and really uh, brilliantly brilliantly executed and of course cast with Alana Haim and and Cooper Hoffman. What 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 was your take? Well, first of all, I want to know why you were surprised that you liked it. It's PTA. It, Does he make PTA, bad movies? PTA and I go in and out. PTA mm -hmm. can be can be brilliant and and uh, extraordinary, uh, obviously. And then there are times uh, something like Inherent Vice. You know, I wasn't sure if this was going to be quirky, weird, uh, impenetrable PTA or whether it was going to be. I I regard this as probably his most accessible movie. A hundred percent. I mean, it's his it's his most lighthearted movie. I yeah. Mean, it's, even if you go back and look at what what is the smallest scale. He He's ever worked on something like Heart Eight. Well, that's yeah. a dark movie. I mean, there's something about this one that it's just sort of like embracing the the sort of the opportunity to play and do something that's that's heartwarming through his own lens, obviously. But what I liked about it is that it's it's so vignette based that it never really requires you to feel like you have to sort of unravel what it's up to. You can just kind of live in the moment with that's these good. characters. Yep, absolutely and right. On some, there, there are some parts of the movie that I found 
a bit disposable, sometimes a little gimmicky with some of the cameos, but there are some sequences that are some of his best directed specifically. I think about that, uh, the, the Bradley Cooper sequence, the, the truck rolling the truck. down the hill, some yep. of his best filmmaking ever. And so, also the Sean Penn sequence was pretty brilliant as well. Oh, sure. So. Playing this William Holden character, very imbued yeah. with, you know, now that whole scene on the golf course. Yeah. And the, and I just love the way the, that he keeps setting up these situations where the two um, actors, the two leads are running toward each other, you know, and, mm -hmm. and when I spoke to Alana Heim, you know, she, she rejected the idea that it was also that whole story of how PTA, you know, shot the video for for the Himes and then uh, found you know created a role for her and that's great and how she was brought She's in amazing. it's just it's just wonderful but she was delightful too to 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 get to to talk to but she she basically said that they that it was not a romance and that she and Cooper Hoffman were magnetically drawn to one another and that's why I love those scenes of them running toward each other you know to save each other uh it it it's it, it's remarkable what he did filmically I do think well so. I also think culturally I mean there 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 are moments where filmmakers I think take a risk on material and and don't realize that they're alienating their audience in the process but what I found fascinating is that in a very um, sensitive environment like today, this is a filmmaker who seems to be very confident in the decisions he makes. I thought about this with Phantom Thread, which came out after, you know, when, when Me Too, the reckoning of Me Too was so fresh, the idea of, you know, the way he treated her. I remember watching that movie and being like, are people going to get really mad about the way that the, this sort of dynamic unfolds? And they didn't because it was so complex and and thought through and I felt similarly with the relationship in this movie even if there was some stupid Twitter discourse about you know the a teenager and a, and a woman in her 20s I mean, relationship. obviously reverse the sexes yeah. and you know but it but also um, come on like there, it's it's it that there's no real sexuality in this movie at all I mean I think she shows her breasts to him yeah uh, as I recall not, it's a it's such and he, an he reaches out moment. and grabs her and gets slapped for it right yeah but i mean the, those are like those are comical moments i, I mean the, if you want to pick one part one detail part it would be obviously the the this racist character character who imitates a japanese uh accent and you know the some the, people are very upset about that i think that bit doesn't quite work well enough but it it's not something that derailed the movie for me as a whole. No, uh, no. it's a very minor part of it. But yeah, so it's so, in the so, race. It's in the best picture race. Um, I'm not sure how well it will do uh, with the actors, but because um, the best actress race is so competitive. But I think PTA might win uh, original screenplay at, at last. And be fascinating. Uh, because and, and, I mean, it's a movie that's not it's not a traditional screenplay, really, in this. But it, it is brilliant. Kind of yeah. yeah, it just so I, that's how it feels just looking at the at the at the sort of uh, bellwether uh, awards so far. Um, it's it could change, but I, I think that could happen. He'll I think he'll get nominated for best director, too, uh, and picture. Um, One of those guys we'll who see. doesn't have to he doesn't do much. He doesn't like to campaign. No. So I remember with Phantom Thread, he didn't do that. Um, he didn't, he, I was chair of New York film critic circle. He didn't come to that. He went on vacation with his family, but still got all these nominations. So we'll see if that, that happened with licorice pizza. It's not as big a contender in the same way. Does it get a best picture? That's an interesting. Yeah, it will, because there are 10, 
and it's done decent in terms of audience. I mean, even in this well, box market, office, and- that's we've been talking about this in your absence. I mean, the the whole question of what impact the box office. I'm beginning to look at box office as. Um, I think we West Side Story definitely got hurt by not because it was exclusive at the box office. Um, and King Richard, everyone knew that it was uh, actually uh, playing well at home. It wasn't a question of whether people saw it or not. Um, it was available day and date. Dune was available day and date and still did really well in theaters. So so it's the theater-only uh, movies that are getting hurt by not being seen. That's yeah. the issue. Yeah. They're not being seen, and they don't get the plus of a box office hit attached to them, the buzz, the discussion, the the word of mouth. I mean, don't look up. Um, I'm, I'm jumping around, but don't, don't look up is is a movie that got such a huge conversation going because it was on netflix that and, was an easy that, win for netflix it was the holiday conversation piece and you gotta um, love how adam mckay just like went for it he mm-hmm. was like we're just gonna say if you for don't like this worse, movie yeah you don't support uh uh discussion about climate change, change. <laughs> like sure whatever like let let the twitter mobs go crazy over that one and keeps you in the public eye i really enjoyed don't look up i have to say it is obviously over long in ways that are kind of undeniable I didn't mind that at all and i loved it, it. Is taking some <laughs> wild swings but i th- here's a couple of things i enjoyed about it were yes, it's imbued with meaning, but it's also it's satire that works on a couple of different levels. It's not just about climate change. It's also about the media's inability to reckon with serious problems. I think that's what it's really about. Yeah. So being able to do those two things at the same time and also being cognizant of the fact, I will say as, as a space nut, that being hit by an asteroid is a real threat to humanity. We have this thing called the Neo Surveyor that's supposed to launch to help track these things. And I listened to a great podcast in which the science advisor to the movie was talking about how they advised McKay to find a real threat. And this can really happen. So it it really does work on several different layers, even as it's also this very ridiculous movie that's eager to entertain. And so one of the things I appreciate about it, and this isn't something most people are talking about, is that Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio is a real movie star. Right. He's in that position that people like Cary Grant were in, you know, at at the height of their careers. And and he lasted a long time, Cary Grant, at the top of the Hollywood pyramid. And he had his choice. He had his pick of the best movies, the best directors. Leo's in that position and Leo turns things down. He did not do Nightmare Alley. Why didn't he do Nightmare Alley? I think he perceived that that character played by Bradley Cooper and I don't, I, I don't want to say that Bradley Cooper did a bad job. If you're playing that character, if you're playing in this dark, dark noir universe with a with a venal character, you 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 aren't going to make people love you. You're not going to you're not going to pull the audience in. And and Leo understood that. He's willing to play villains. He's willing to be entertaining of, as mean, a villain. We don't have a lot of movie stars with us anymore. But if you think about I, I remember thinking about this with Tom Hanks when he was in when he was playing Mr. Rogers in, in, in Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it's uh, more on the Jimmy Stewart vein. But it's the same thing. It's like name a movie where that guy's played a, a contemptible character. You well, know, Jimmy or, Stewart did do it later in his career post-World 
World War II. He actually became the the darker version of himself, which is a fascinating thing Scorsese has talked about. Um, But but the thing about Leo, he is willing to be dark. He was in Django Unchained. That's not the issue. He wants to be in a hit. (laughs) He wants to be in a movie that does well. And he understood that Nightmare Alley was not going to be uh, a, a crowd pleaser. And he did. And Don't Look Up is a clever movie because he gets to play this geeky guy. It's probably the first time that he's really embracing being an older guy, for one thing, who's who's got a wife and who goes with a woman of a certain age, even if Kate Blanchett with is older alluring. Sons. Yes, yeah. she is of his in his in his age range. He embraced his real age in this movie, but he became sexy when he was having the affair with Kate Blanchett and he cleaned up and and fixed his beard and and all and his haircut well, and everything that, I mean this is the, this is the meat So the he becomes a fantasy figure for right. regular guys. But this so, is also a thing that happens as well which is that once you turn the, the camera I mean look Chris Cuomo went down while I was out too. Like once you turn the camera on people the the concept of of responsibility to the truth becomes secondary to for I mean that that, that to, to me felt to, like to building the brand and getting yeah, the attention yeah, and watching him go through that account. was fascinating because he became a, a victim of social media and attention and getting response which right. we can all relate to. He was good, but how is this movie good? Because I saw this one in the privacy of my own home and enjoyed it. Plays it plays well in a theater. It yeah, I'm curious well. about how it, how it's played around and and also how it's playing with the Academy, which doesn't usually reward comedies of any sort. The thing about Don't Look Up is that it ticks a couple boxes because it does have the gravitas to play to the liberal side of the Academy. It's a soft lob down the middle to Academy members. And they don't treat Adam McKay as a comedian. They treat him as a serious filmmaker. They've given him nominations uh, already for he his won previous one. films. Yeah. And he got a screenplay win. Yeah. I did find for the big enjoy short. that... The, and Vice. They liked the, Vice, too. I mean, I wouldn't say I enjoyed, but I, I was fascinated by the uh, conversation, the conversation around McKay's falling out with Will Ferrell that came out of some reporting. Yeah, because, he did some he did some soul searching there. Yeah, it is. But it is really interesting because it is true that the, the kind of more broad comedies do not garner you the same ability to reach. This isn't a broad comedy, you see. So I don't, yeah. I, I don't put it in the category that's, that's the of point the kind that of making. comedy the Academy ignores. I put you it have in the to category admit, it, it, exactly. of a comedy that is about something. That, that's what I'm saying. Is that I, I think the the takeaway I got from that was that this was somebody who realized years ago that he had to evolve beyond those in order to have an impact with this other contingency. And uh, and the feral comedies obviously don't fit that mold. I think it'll make it to best picture and um, screenplay. Wow. And uh, I think I, I don't I don't know. Leo's on the cusp of, of getting into the best actor race. I, I he isn't campaigning that much. So we'll have well, to he's see got if, one. He, if he wants to pursue it or not. The other thing is that people people t- make a big fuss about these film Twitter uh, conversations that occur. And it, it, it is, I must remind everyone <laughs> that film Twitter is a very small demo, a very tiny sliver of the world. Well, there are, you know, more influential, higher level people, let's say industry people who are having conversations about things or putting things out there that generate news. And then there are 
you know, I don't want to say anonymous cinephiles, but lower profile cinephiles who are sort of engaging with their own specific communities. Some of them are, are quite young and have their own specific networks that they're engaging with. And then there's journalists and critics, and those people can have an influence that trickles down. So it isn't just one thing. And I think different people have different perceptions based on who they're following, what they think is gaining traction. So I don't think it's so it's so clearly defined. Well, it's it's fair it's fair to say that Don't Look Up took off on film Twitter across the board, and that that yeah. debate well, and they leaned was raging, it. and yeah. they helped it rage. Yeah, they did. And, and, but by the way, Netflix knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, they recognize oh, yeah. that that conversation is a good conversation. It makes people, it drives, I had many examples of people on my uh, Twitter feed who, um, and my Twitter feed is mostly film Twitter, um, is if they, they basically uh, were driven to see the movie because of the debate about the movie. And over the holiday, so my, everybody caught up with it. I, my Twitter feed is like film Twitter mixed in with like space and science Twitter. And space and science Twitter was like universally positive on this movie. Cool. You know, so it, that that was one thing like it, the, the people were seeing how their challenges of saying serious things about threats to humanity were not translating in the media. They were seeing that in the movie. And then there was this whole conversation about, you know, is it actually a good movie? And like, is Adam McKay a jerk for taking people to task and all that stuff? That just feels very ephemeral to me, which is why it's easy to just mess with it from a marketing standpoint. Well, then there's some political Twitter, you know, the the, the kind of sure. people that, that got into this argument about whether you have to agree with the movie to like the movie, which is absurd, you know, I think. Um, it, you can judge a movie without judging its message. Um, and you can uh, see whether it works or not. So I would say uh, the other movie that um, you might have had to catch up with was House of Gucci. Yeah, not a huge fan of that one, I have to say. I mean, I thought that it was very confused tonally, that there were moments where it was trying to be camp and other moments where it was accidentally camp. And I wasn't deeply invested in the kind of narrative arc of this business or driver's character. I found Lady Gaga's performance quite distracting with the fake accent and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there were moments that I found entertaining, but overall, I, I just, it was a big whiff to me. It certainly wasn't the best Ridley Scott movie of the year, that's for sure. No, I agree with you, actually, 100% on this one. I think it, all the actors were in different rooms. Like I didn't Mario feel like Luigi. Ridley Scott yeah. was was yeah. was orchestrating it, which Lady Gaga interviewed her, and she argued that he was orchestrating it. I don't think he was. I think they were all doing whatever the hell they wanted. And she was too, she was, you know, I, I loved the beginning of the movie. When I first entered the movie and followed the romance and, and was introduced to her character, as a young woman and and the romance with with the young um, uh, Gucci played by Adam Driver I I was into it and then uh, it became more as uh, what as they pay, as they paid more attention to the other Gucci's including you know the broad performance by Al Pacino Jeremy Irons and Jared Leto off the charts they completely lost me but the benefit uh, and uh, Adam Driver was in his own <laughs> universe too the um, when I saw it at, at the Academy Museum, though, at, at a screening with a lot of actors, I understood perfectly that Jared Leto and Lady Gaga would get nominated. We, they, we shall they, see what, what happens at SAG. Room. SAG will be... Golden Globes are going to announce... Um, on the 9th of January, we don't know exactly how they're going to do it, whether it's a press conference or some kind of event that they stage to announce it. But... Um, 
it, or if they just do it on Zoom or something. But uh, it, it, it will have a little ripple. It, it was basically ignored mostly by the media in, in yeah. terms of its impact. And the Critics' Choice were poised to be more impactful, but they had to cancel because they yeah. were a live event. So the Golden Globes, yeah. in a f weird way, dodged a, a big a big bullet not having I will say, though, on the, the, this year. the social media front, House of Gucci is almost like it's more meme than movie. It, fe it felt like it was ripe for a moment to because there were so many things like that whole father-son and House of Gucci line and stuff like that. That Which she like, made up. Yeah, yeah, the internet went crazy with stuff like that, and I feel like no, her support is huge. Let's yeah. not let's be honest about this. Uh, Lady Gaga is a movie star, and I've never I watch what she's doing to campaign for herself with awe. <laughs> this woman, no, she's on a Madonna level. I mean, she's extraordinarily good well, at, at getting out there. Yeah. And her interview with me, she played me per perfectly. And so, <laughs> I was in the room when she won New York Film Critics Circle. You could feel the, the divide. That was another thing I managed to do. I got out of the house to vote. Oh, you got me. to go to that. I got to go to the room for that, which was, I don't know if people would do that now. Right. Well, that's a whole a other. Pre-Omicron world. But, that's a whole but other yeah, question. When she won, I was sort of like, all right, sure, whatever, folks. You know, hopefully the dinner happens and, and she shows up and that'll be entertaining. But uh, I was pushing for something else to happen there. It's, I would. I was surprised by that, by that vote, uh, frankly. But it shows how much support she actually kind of has. Critics are so, excited by movie star performances. And that's what I think people felt like they saw there. So. Well, the the question there is whether House of Gucci has any support in any other categories, and I will argue it will get those too. It'll just get those acting nominations. I'm not sure it even gets into into the Best Picture race because I think a lot of people recognize that it's kind of kind it's of a mess. A it, it it but a lot of people liked it and enjoyed it as a piece of entertainment, mm -hmm. which is fine. Nightmare Alley. So that's one that I was disappointed in too. I ended up humming the sets. I ended up recognizing how beautiful it was. I mean, no one can match Guillermo del Toro's artistry um, in terms of creating this world. Um, but what did you think? I actually quite liked it. Uh, I found it uneven in parts, um, specifically later when the Kate Blanchett character is introduced. I thought the plot got a li little bit too murky and it, it felt a bit cold to me. But in terms of a movie that was sort of attuned to the appeal of film noir and the specific dark nature of this character that Radley Cooper plays, who sort of in, in a weird way makes peace with his, his sort of fate in life, uh, I found quite engrossing all the way to the end with that last shot. Um, I revisited the 1947 version, and I think the ending alone is what makes this movie improve on the previous adaptation in that it is so so clear-eyed about the bleak nature of the material and that this character is essentially irredeemable, but also there's something really beautiful about him coming to terms with that. And in that sense, I think it's some of the most striking and intimate filmmaking Guillermo has done, um, even if it's not, you know, as as um, you know, rewarding as all these wonderful fantasies that he's made as, as a whole. Um, but but I did enjoy watching it quite a bit. I found that there was a difference between the the Bradley. I mean, this may be part of what you're saying. Uh, the Bradley Cooper character. Uh, and the way that Tyrone Power played him in the first one, you did mm -hmm. root for that character to find uh, re redemption. And in this one, you knew from yeah. the beginning I, I, that I there was no possible sense. redemption for him. Yeah.
Well, but that I, he but was I always going to go that. to the dark side, always. Yeah, and I appreciated that about that. I think there's something sort of uncompromising. I would love to see the black and white version of this movie that's coming out or getting some sort of limited screenings because I also thought that just visually it was very attuned to the language of, of noir uh, in some really remarkable ways. Although it was gorgeous. It's not my favorite, but. Now the Academy yeah. will come around. I mean, I think it'll be a best picture contender and, and, and the, the people will, will uh, give it some crafts. Um, but uh, uh, I don't, I don't think it will get that far. Um, I, I don't even think they'll get the screenplay nomination uh, for that one. And I don't think they'll get any acting either. I, I don't. Um, because those categories are very competitive. Yeah, um, an actor in particular, it sounds like, would be a tough one for him to break yeah. into. So, so uh, West Side it. Story, did you go out to see that in a theater? Oh, yeah. I couldn't. I actually, so there was one week, and, and we talked about it at home quite a bit but pulled it off where I went to the Gotham's one night and then West Side Story the next morning. So the big West Side Story premiere was in Lincoln's Air at the same time as the Gotham's, but I was able to do both of those things. So that was a packed week. But, um, but West Side Story, I was very glad to see when I saw because it felt like being part of the initial awareness for this movie was really rewarding and finding out that it was a very satisfying big screen musical. Lo and behold, Spielberg, who's never made a musical in his, you know, nearly 50 years of being a filmmaker, film, filmmaker did his homework and did a really good job. Um, I, I would say that the, cha the challenges I had with this movie are that it is so reverential of its source material that it has some of the same issues in the sense that I don't think the last third of the movie is as satisfying. And I wasn't blown away by the performances as a whole, but the real stars, the camera, the, the choreography, the way this movie moves. The music is the real star. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's the foundation. Which is what he's serving. He's around. serving yeah. it. And yeah. the concept of gentrification baked into the plot. I like was, that. Was that was Kushner's brilliant uh, yeah. move. Yeah, it's it's West Side Story, but I found it to be a very satisfying modernization of it that did that was still very much tethered to its roots. So one of the things I've, I've, I'm learning uh, as I talk to Academy members um, over the holidays is is that there really is resistance to West Side Story uh, being remade at all. Um, that is a real theme that I'm hearing is why did they have to remake it? Why does Steven Spielberg have to remake it? Why? Because they love the original so much. I was open to it and I loved it and I thought he did a great job and improved on it in many ways. The, I do not regard the, the original as some kind of classic. This one is better and it, it enriches the characters and, and deepens uh, the, there's an old Hollywood, there's an old Hollywood uh, uh, lingo that I've always enjoyed called it's, it's deepens the chroma, you know, the idea is that it, it takes those characters and makes them richer and gives them a, a broader, uh, more meaningful context. Anyway. You know what the fundamental flaw of that remake argument is? Nobody ever brings it up with theater. I saw West, uh, uh, West Side's a Rudin produced production of West Side Story on Broadway, like in 2019. I know, Shakespeare and, can be done, Macbeth yeah. can be done. So basically, uh, uh, West Side Story is has a part of the explanation for why it didn't do better in theaters is that a older people didn't go they were afraid of 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 the virus uh but there seems to have been some resistance also 
to to the idea of it being remade. I agree with you completely. I don't. There's. I think it's silly. Why can't they remake it? Um, and of all the things that could be remade today, I mean, the concept of remakes is annoying. And I wouldn't mind somebody saying, "I'm going to do a modernization of West Side Story and set it in the future and make it steampunk and also change the name, and then it'll be an homage and something new and fresh." And I like that idea. But of all things, you're going to get mad about. Steven Spielberg making a great movie in 2021 is not really one that I would get bogged down by. So it's too bad that movie wasn't a big success commercially in spite of all that stuff. I guess it's not surprising in retrospect, but I hope that it continues to, you know, get out there and get talked about. I mean, I still think Flea should be the front runner for best picture. Of course you do. But if we're going to give it to something else, (laughs) you know, and I also thought Titan should have been on the damn short list. There's a lot of stuff we could go through in terms of the sins of the the season. The last movie of the season is one that you saw and for what, for various weird reasons, uh, I did not. uh, Future best picture winner, (laughs) Spider-Man. I obviously was resisting seeing Spider-Man. And I I have to admit that I've seen too many Spider-Men. I've seen them all. I have seen them all. This movie is actually about that in a weird sort of way. The movie is a crowd pleaser, as you might imagine, for uh, people who are invested in the crowd pleasing potential of Marvel movies, because it is explicitly about continuing to fix the challenges of of making the MCU work. And Spider-Man was its biggest challenge because he was on he was part of Sony. And this movie, by working in the, the Sony versions of Spider-Man that didn't work that well, allows those actors that were in those movies to kind of make peace with that. And it also is more explicitly about the character of Spider-Man finally kind of growing up and coming to terms with who he really is, which sets him up to be a bigger part of the MCU going forward. So it does a lot of stuff. I don't want to spoil a lot of it, but the way in which- I'll catch up with it. I mean, I am an MCU fan. I'm a Marvel fan. It's just that Spider-Man is just like, no, that makes it sound more more interesting. I didn't love all of it. It, So explain why it's such a huge hit. We know that Kevin Feige is one of the great you know, movie geniuses of the 21st century in terms of what he created here. This is a movie that is predicated on the appeal of er earlier movies. And Spider-Man has always been a fun character to root for because he's got this sort of playful self-effacing quality to him that, you know, a lot of people can relate to. Certainly a lot of male viewers can relate to. In interrogating that in a way that I think will resonate with people, especially audiences that might have grown up on Marvel movies and feel like they're on a similar timeline to a character like that. So I think there's a lot going on there. It's also got Doctor Strange in it and it is setting up the next Doctor Strange film in certain kinds of ways. The post-credit sequence is actually more like a trailer. Obviously, in in terms of um, uh, the industry, uh, Spider-Man saved, literally saved the box office for last year. Um, and there was so. a period of time where it was eating up like 70% of the box office, you know, and all these other movies were just trailing and all these art house, uh, releases were doing nothing, just doing pitiful, pitiful. Uh, I mean, I think as if I have this right, um, uh, Neon took Memoria out and and put it in theaters just for one week in each city, and which makes sense yeah, to me. They made a very fun and fun, or at least um, sort of you know bold announcement about that a while ago that it would only play one city at a time, for you know n- never be available anywhere else ever. Now, obviously, it is available in other parts of the world as a DVD and so forth, but and that's it will a- be available soon, yeah. quickly and uh, again, online, which is the new that- model. 
along with Titane, should have been on the short list, but I'm not surprised. It was it's a very challenging. No, film. That, I, I heard people, yeah. you know, complain about how long and slow it actually was. Um, but the the I thought they did a good job with the short list uh, of 15 uh, mo- movies. I understood that Titan was going to be uh, a, a calculated risk. Um, I think Terry uh, bet on it as as the can entry, you know, the Palm Door winner. Um, and I think they should have gone with with the uh, with the one about abortion. Uh, I really do. Uh, happening. Yeah. I have see picked up and is now going to reintroduce. It's very good. Festival circuit. But the uh, it is worth pointing out that can had I believe it was eight films on the short list. They did very well. So they, they did, did well, very even, well. Even so. From so a hero to to uh, a hero is 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 ex- and flea, yeah. Yeah, so it worked um, out. Now flea is going to end up on the, um, I think, in the top five for international as well as documentary, um, and Animation. it could be contending with Summer of Soul for best documentary and the rescue. The rescue's in there too. Uh, people love that movie. Rescue, I assume, also is benefiting from being on Disney Plus. Um, yes, it's about what people have seen and how yeah. it plays. And uh, the rescue, once it gets nominated, even though they won before, which usually is a deterrent to something winning again, uh, the larger academy could respond very well to the rescue. It plays well. It's tense and it's memorable and it's heartwarming and all that kind of stuff. But Summer Soul is just such a remarkable story. It'll happen. It'll happen. Achievement. Yeah. And Flea yeah. is amazing. I mean, I would love to see the, like I said, I mean, I did a story about this that ran while I was out, but to have Flea and Summer of Soul as movies that play so well and, and could potentially be cracking other categories is very exciting. Why should we rule out best picture? There's no there's no real reason why those aren't best picture movies. Here's what I would argue for. I would argue for the documentary uh, category to have 10 nominations as well as the one uh, one argument that that some people are are putting forward or there there are other people who said we should have um, other documentary categories, maybe a documentary editing category something like that that would open up docs just to be seen more and it celebrated more widely and that could push them up i don't see that as happening. long as the academy is so worried about their ratings on abc and as long as abc is putting as much pressure on them as they are none of these things will happen because they will only make the actual broadcast longer and the whole question of uh, the Oscars and how many people are actually going to be interested in these movies this year is still yeah. a big one. So there's been this big f- push, uh, a lobbying campaign. It feels like it's on the part of the trades. It's a, it's a, and and here's here's the thing. You and I work for IndieWire. Uh, uh, people like Clayton Davis at Variety and and Pete Hammond at Deadline and and Steve Pond at The Wrap. You know they Scott Scott Fine. Feinberg at the Hollywood Reporter, you know, all uh, and me, obviously, uh, are, are, we're all invested in the success of the Oscars and and in advertising that supports um, our what revenues. You know, it's what we live on, but uh, it's an ecosystem. I see this ecosystem as being very much in danger, and I would say that's part of the reason why somebody would argue for Spider-Man to, to lobby for Spider-Man to be continue to, to be uh, part of the Oscar conversation. And usually, Spider-Man would be part of the conversation for some possible tech categories. Uh, do you think that Spider-Man should be part of the uh, Oscar conversation? I don't. Th- the only reason they're doing it is because they want the 
the telecast to be successful. Aesthetically, I don't really think so. And I think it would actually, in a strange way, devalue the Oscars to push for movies that aren't necessarily worthy of it just to improve ratings. There, there must be another kind of solution to this. I don't know what it is. It's not my job to figure that out. The solution I, is heard. to make the theaters successful again. Well, there's that. You that need the movies to be in the conversation. You need nice. them to be part of the of the of the office. But the telecast itself Converse. needs more stuff. I the, did like the, Kyle the water cooler conversation. Kyle Buchanan made a suggestion that they they don't totally understand the whole social mediaization of everything. They don't market well. properly. That, that could be something improved. One thing that occurred to me. This is really you know ambitious, but. The best thing that Steven Soderbergh did in his not very good Oscars, I thought, <laughs> was the pitch that what if the Oscars were a movie? And he didn't deliver on that. And I Only felt the like opening. something could the have opening happened. The opening was awesome. If you had a scripted special of some sort that you were watching and the award season was somehow folded into that, I don't expect this year's producers to do that. But there's something about the idea of like, the award shows themselves are just not really exciting TV. You have to create some other reason for people to watch this thing if ratings are going to be a key aspect. No, but it's a fascinating thing to see that the ecosystem itself, because of the pandemic, because of, of what's happened with the Golden Globes, a, a whole lot of different reasons, all the buzz isn't happening. And the theaters, I do believe very strongly that if um, the theater-going experience declines and diminishes the way I think it's going to in the next few years, that that the ability for movies to build that kind of awareness across the country on a national level and have people rooting and have interest in these movies will be diminished and it will go away and the Oscars will therefore not be what they were ever well, again. Well, then make best picture worthy movies that work on a large scale like Black Panther, which got a best picture nomination. I don't think that it's impossible for these movies to crack. They just have to be made in a way that actually is justifiable. I don't think Spider-Man, which is very much a commercial product designed to celebrate its own. Of course. Is, is a best picture movie. So let's nor, not. Nor is The Matrix. <laughs> no, four. but it did remind me that we're probably living in a simulation with all this bullshit. No, so. Matrix 4 is fascinating in the way that it it's it's meta. There was this moment where I was watching it where I was thinking, God, this is really old fashioned in this weird way. It's like doing like exactly what it did yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And literally, as I'm thinking this, the dialogue reflects it and says it yeah. and and i was like okay okay they're they're on to what they're what they're doing and not doing it's certainly that that first heavily meta act where you have you know keanu playing neo as somebody who designed the first three games and and that weren't explicitly saying that warner brothers is trying to reboot and all that kind of stuff that's just like a brilliant calculation on the part of lena wachowski because only she could have done that and we know that like for example zach penn wanted to do this morpheus origin story and stuff it's like it's such a uncompromising approach to a commercial product. And I love that kind of subversion. I think once the mythology of the matrix gets into it, you're reminded of why matrix two and three weren't as good. Well, they always end up with these ridiculous uh, scale situations with, with too many things going on yeah. in a digital universe that no one could possibly believe. And in. I wasn't, I was not, I mean, he was funny, but I didn't think Neil Patrick Harris's character really. No, no, but I loved, much, I have so. to say, I always did love uh, Keanu Reeves. 
Reeves in this role. And there's this wonderful okay. interview on Esquire video with him that I just ate up. He's he's delightful, Keanu Reeves, and I thought he oh. carried this perfectly well. Uh, he's it's it's a lightweight thing. Yeah. It really is. You yeah. root for this guy to continue to be as yes. appealing on screen. Yes. I mean, I, we were talking about like what is a real movie star? He's like his own version of he a movie is. star. Absolutely. Category. The other interview that you and I both listened to over the holidays, which I highly recommend, is the one that Bill Simmons did with Ben Affleck for the movie The no. Tender Bar, which, which I haven't seen. Um, which is uh, I've seen, and you you don't have to My see it. My one blind spot. You can skip it. <laughs> but no, Affleck is very good in it. He plays a p supporting part that's tailor made for him, and he runs with it, and he's fine. But. The 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 Bill Simmons has obviously he's a very good interviewer. I've always admired him as an interviewer, and he has this sort of good old boy rapport uh, with a lot of the guys that he interviews. And when they can talk about sports together, that just builds an enormous bond. And so you, it it is really fun to listen to Ben Affleck talk about the Boston Red Sox and and his friendships uh, with um, with football stars. Exactly. So was a good conversation and, and he also unlocked affleck's um the sort of what affleck was has been trying to do the last few years with things that that people thought didn't quite work like why did he choose to play batman well he was trying he felt like if he's trying if he wants to prove himself to people then he should do one of those things that all these people are sort of paying attention to now it's very that calculated. Was one of those eye blink moments where i remember uh, so powerfully reacting to his his decision to to play that role really negatively like that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of people. And saw I that knew one. I have always felt a great deal of of sympathy for him in terms of the way that the media has treated him and his attempts to protect his own family. I felt for him in that in that part of the interview. Yeah, and I, and, and the thing is that. I mean, again, I haven't seen Tender Bar, but I have plenty of respect for Ben Affleck as a creative. And I have seen all the movies he's directed. And I think he's a good filmmaker. And that part of it is a key part of the equation, too. I mean, he won an Oscar as a screenwriter early in his career. You know, like the it's not just about being on camera. It's about making creative choices that are about the entire outcome. And that's a kind of calculation that I think should not be taken lightly because a lot of actors are not that careful about what they do in the year of argo um i got to talk to him and i also remember watching uh, a tribute that i think it was leonard malton uh did with him and and he oh, right. uh, at the santa barbara film festival oh, and barbara, he was yeah. he was really um open and and flowing and not you know protecting himself that much and and i got a real picture of of him as a writer and a director and an actor and a producer and someone who really is very smart i have always believed that ben affleck could run a studio you know he could he could do hey, that maybe you're giving him some ideas here I wouldn't be the, opposed. The trouble with acting a... is it is it's easier and it's 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 you're able to be um, to pay to be paid. It, the trouble with and it takes the trouble with writing and directing is that it's hard and it takes a long time. And I keep seeing him sliding back into the acting mode when I wish he would direct. That's what he does the best. Yeah. Um, well, memo to, memo to Ben. It's not too late. So, this is so, a nice special opportunity to reconnect with you, Anne. I feel like my brain's been popping around having you know. <laughs> private monologues that, that should involve you. I've been sort Here's of what I'm going to say to you, Eric. I'm going to say that you 
up my tennis game. <laughs> well, welcome back. Okay. I can't wait to the weird year we have ahead of us, but let, let's get into it and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.